Here Jesus has been teaching his followers about peacemaking, uh, particularly how to respond if somebody has uh, sinned against you or offended you. Uh, We looked at that last week. And God bless Peter, the disciple, who goes to Jesus uh, with this great idea. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And he's like that little kid who brings a bunch of flowers to mom. Said, Mom, I picked these flowers for you. And she can see they were clearly picked out of the neighbor's flower bed. You know, it's really cute, but, you know, so far away. Seven was pretty good. When Peter says, should Jesus, should I forgive seven times? The teaching of the day from the rabbis was that if somebody sins against you and they repent, you forgive them. If they sin against you a second time and they repent, you forgive them again. If they sin against you a third time and they repent, you forgive a third time. But that's it. Three times and then no more uh, forgiving after that. So Peter's thinking, okay, three is kind of the rule of the day. What about double that plus one, seven, seven's a number of perfection. What if I forgive seven times and Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or you could translate that 70 times, seven times. The, the point, however you translate that, the point is not three times, not seven times, but uncountable, boundless amount of grace that you can extend to forgive. Forgiveness in the life of the believer can have no limits. Why? Because God forgave you. He extends unbounded, amazing grace, and when you receive it and when you understand it, it becomes a powerful force within you to be able to forgive others. Or, as it simply put in Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the standard now. Today we're in week two of three weeks considering the notion of peacemaking and living at peace with one another all from the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been working through Gospel of Matthew since February. And we've been taking chunks of it. And this sort of three-week chunk is all about peacemaking. And Jesus today talking about forgiveness specifically. Again, it's not something you do three times. It's not something you do seven times, but countless times. And Jesus uses a very vivid parable to explain to to demonstrate this, to show this to us. This is an important concept for us for a couple reasons. One is because forgiveness is a powerful thing. It's powerful as God extends it to us. It's powerful in our lives as we experience it and as we extend it to others. It brings freedom to us. It brings freedom to others. Uh, And because it is so powerful, we want to know how to use it rightly. But also... Jesus gives us a warning here that unforgiveness, if we don't follow him in this, puts us in great spiritual peril. So Jesus uses very serious language to warn us, and we heed that today as we look at his word. So as we approach this, let us pray as we begin. So Father God, for your goodness, once again, just to be together, to worship you, the joy of what this is. And in this time, We now humble ourselves before your word. We know that as we talk about this, you might bring up things that are heavy. You might bring up things that are hard. 
past hurts and traumas and whatever it might be, Lord. So we just, in a special way, we, I pray your gentleness over us in this room and those who are watching, that you, our loving Heavenly Father, would show us your way and extend your grace and your mercy to us in every way in this time. We give it to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we learn from this parable? So three things I want to learn from this or point out for us. The first is God's great grace. I had, and you have to please appreciate my alliteration as we go. I did a good job. God's great grace. Great grace. Boundless grace. Verse 23, he tells the story. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When Jesus tells parables like this, the king is almost always God, is, is the king. And the servants of that king are God's servants, God's people. This, is a, this parable Jesus is just making very clear and very vivid. Verse 24, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. So there's a debt that's old. Jesus uses this phrase. He uses the number 10,000, which is basically the biggest number that you can write in the Greek language, and uh, a, a denomination of money that was the biggest denomination of money. So Jesus is saying it's, it's the biggest amount of money that it's, he owed a million dollars or a zillion dollars. It was some huge debt that was owed. He just, uh, Jesus is making that very clear that this debt is huge. Verse 25. Since he, the servant, was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, it was if you were in severe debt, you could be sold. Your family could be sold as part of that or imprisoned or in some way put to work uh, forcefully to repay some or all of the debt. This man and his family, really, this amount of money that Jesus mentions, only a fraction of it would his life even be worth in in some kind of monetary sense. So, verse 26, At this the servant fell on his knees. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, let him go. The master took pity on him, or the same word for compassion. The master has compassion on this man who could never pay this enormous debt. Not only does he not send him to jail, not only does he not sell him into some kind of slavery, he says, you know what, the whole thing's canceled, and you go completely free. It is sheer grace at this point that the debt is now gone. It is completely erased. This, what Jesus described in that very short part of the story, is the spiritual condition of every person. That there is a debt to be paid. It is a debt much bigger than could ever be paid. And only by the compassion and the grace of our King, uh, our God, that we could ever be forgiven. It is sheer grace. Complete forgiveness. And we always have to remember that the debt is not small. And what is in view here is the holiness of God. And I do think in our day, and even the way we talk about God sometimes, and and because God's grace is so great, it's easy to forget how holy he is. 
how other he is compared to us. Sometimes we think of God as just big and friendly and kind of like us, but, but definitely better, definitely wants us to be good, wants us to be happy. But the image in the Bible is, that, is much greater than that. Yes, Scripture does describe God as friend, but that's such an amazing concept because God is so holy and so powerful. He is the one who holds all of life and death in his hands, all of existence in his hands. He breathed out everything that is for his own pleasure, and he could, at his pleasure, destroy it if he wanted to, but only by his grace and by his providence, he sustains it all. And we forget that God is so perfect And that we are so imperfect that if we were to be in God's presence, we would be destroyed because he is so pure. And anything unpure could not be with him unless he were to make it pure. The debt is huge and his power is immense. So we learn that God's grace, therefore, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to cancel that debt is great. The second thing we learn from this parable is the foolishness of failing to follow our king. Verse 28. Thank you. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So that's uh, the language that's used there. That's a fairly substantial debt. But what's glaring is the, how disproportionate it is to the other debt. It is minuscule compared to what was just described with these bags of gold. Now we have a hundred silver coins. Um, He grabbed him, verse 28 continues, and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Just the, the choking and the cruelty that's described here. Very clear. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. This other servant is using the exact same language to the one who would just use that language to the king. It's, it's, this, it's a very, this is, Jesus means for us to see how clear that is. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This, is, this contrast that Jesus has set up here is so ridiculous. It is so foolish to have experienced one thing and then to live something that is so just completely opposite. It, it is glaring for us. So Jesus makes the moral of the story very clear. God forgave you. You must be forgiving of others. And if you don't, it looks as silly as what this guy just did. So if God forgives me and I'm supposed to forgive others, why is that so hard for me? If it's so foolish to not forgive as God forgave me, why am I stuck here? Why am I falling into this unforgiveness? And the reason is, forgiveness is very hard. Because it feels right to have anger towards those who have wronged you. And it feels good to want to punish them for the wrongs that have been committed to you. But unforgiveness harms you, even if it feels right at the time. The famous 19th century Scottish minister Thomas Chalmers, he said this, Unforgiveness is the poison we drink hoping another will die. 
It actually harms you, the unforgiveness, even if you think it feels right. And unforgiveness feels right, and then forgiveness, we forget how amazing forgiveness is as we extend it, how beneficial, how freeing it is for us. So unforgiveness feels good, and forgiveness doesn't feel good, even if it benefits us, because it costs you something. Forgiveness always has a cost. Now, when I'm talking about forgiveness, this is what I'm talking about. So forgiveness is not, and I have a, a slide, forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. Oh, that didn't happen. There's some kind of denial. No. Forgiveness is not ignoring the hurt or dismissing the pain that you feel. That's not what I'm talking about. Forgiveness is not pretending that it doesn't matter. It's pretending, well, time will heal all wounds. It doesn't. That's pretending. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is facing the wrong that was done to you. So in a sense, you're embracing the pain that's tied to that. So recognizing the emotions that it brings up, whatever the offense was towards you. But choosing not to hold it against the other person. You're choosing not to be the one who's going to punish that person for what they've done. And you release that person into God's hands. That's what forgiveness is, what I'm talking about here. And that does hurt to do, to extend that to somebody. Because in order to practice forgiveness, you have to, you're giving up your right for repayment. You're giving up your right to revenge. And you're absorbing that debt on yourself. So pain becomes the currency of forgiveness, in a sense. Absorbing that pain. Now, it might feel good to want to other person to pay by hurting them or slandering them or silently hoping that they will just fail or wishing ill on somebody. But forgiveness is letting go of that stuff. Even if there's no apology. But it brings about a beautiful freedom in the heart of the one who forgives that revenge will never give you. Now I said, even if there's no apology. So how can that be? Two, I'm talking, we're going to think about forgiveness on two levels. On one level, heart forgiveness. This is primarily what I'm talking about. Heart forgiveness is, it does not require an apology. It's in your heart, you choose to release that person. That you release the anger, the bitterness, your right to punish them. In your heart, you let all that stuff go. And that is the first level and, and the most important part of forgiveness. There's also what we'll call transactional forgiveness. So that's kind of the next level would be that does require somebody to repent, to turn and, and apologize and seek forgiveness. Now with transactional forgiveness, there's a two-way thing that happens where a, a, a relationship that's broken can be restored and there can be next steps. Um, but, and so that would require some sort of apology. But sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes you can only do the heart-level forgiveness because for various reasons, or if the person, say the person dies, you can't then get an apology from somebody who's no longer with us. But you can still harbor anger and resentment that you can release and do the heart forgiveness towards, towards someone. 
The reason why the heart forgiveness is so important and powerful is that's where the freedom is going to come from. It's going to set you free. Because then you're saying, I'm no longer going to be tied to the emotion. I'm no, no longer going to be tied to the pain and the sin that wounded me. And I'm going to, so I'm setting myself free from that and I'm setting God free to do his work in that person's life. Now, you don't have to set God free. God will do what he's going to do. But in a sense, it's, it's just allowing God to be the righteous judge, put it in his hands. In the freedom that you experience with that forgiveness, you cannot experience with unforgiveness. And it will impact your life, even impact your health. So uh, cardiologist Mimi Garani, a medical doctor, wrote, uh, a car- uh, The Heart Speaks, a cardiologist reveals the secret language of healing. Quote, studies have shown that those who fail to forgive wrongs committed to them have more stress-related disorders and worse rates of cardiovascular disease than the population as a whole. There's a whole report that goes with it. So my friend Seth is a cardiologist, and I asked him, I said, is this true? Is this, I, I quote this report all the time because it's great in a sermon, but is it true? And he said, absolutely, 100%, that unforgiveness actually can and he was talking about rates of cortisol and hormones and things, and then I said, okay, he's true. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with the, the story of uh, Louis Zamperini. The, Unbroken was the book, the famous book. Was, I did not read the book. My wife, I think my children did. My, um, we, I saw the movie. Um, but he was the uh, Olympic runner who was a World War II soldier, was imprisoned in Japan, was beaten and tortured and just uh, terrible conditions in in the prison camp. And he was finally uh, freed and released from that. But after his release, his life was very dark. And he he survived it. I mean, just amazing resiliency in in the, the, the sheer will to survive of a human being with what he went through. And I commend the movie, the book to you, um, just to, to understand this concept in some way, that any human could even survive that is just amazing uh, resolve. But when he was then free, it fell into a very dark place of, of, of heavy drinking and depression and, and suicide, becoming suicidal. It was only when he came to faith in Jesus Christ that he understood forgiveness in a whole new way. And he was able, in his heart to extend forgiveness to these to, to his torturers and to those his the prison guards and those who had been over him. Now the, the movie kind of downplays the faith piece of that, unfortunately, uh, for whatever reasons. Um, I think the book probably is and I've um, watched interviews from him. I mean his life was completely changed. He became sort of a, a motivational speaker and sharing his story and became alive in a new way when he understood forgiveness. That's when his life was changed. Even to the point where he was he traveled back to Japan and back to the very prison camp where he had been held and, and some of his captors who were now prison who were now war criminals themselves staying there, he was able to speak words of forgiveness to them face to face. It's, it's, it's a powerful life change. I think we need to remember, too, that 
sometimes forgiveness is a process, that it's not just instant. It's not just you make a decision to forgive and it's over, but that it's a heart change and that can take time because our hearts are work and process. So we grow and we learn forgiveness. So we have God's great grace, his forgiveness, and we have the foolishness of, of, of not following that because of the beautiful freedom and the, the healing that it brings as we forgive. But the third thing we learn in this parable is about the severe sentence for the servant. Verse 32, the master called the, the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus concludes, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Jesus said, This picture I just painted This is how my heavenly father will work. This is a severe warning. That is why we take this concept of forgiveness very seriously. Jesus said a very, and it's a very difficult statement, and he said a similarly difficult statement when he taught his disciples how to pray and how to pray for forgiveness and and about how if if you're not going to be willing to forgive, then you're not going to experience God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness, as I look at all of Scripture, is not contingent on our forgiving others. Rather, our ability to forgive is the fruit of having experienced God's grace and God's forgiveness. Our lack of forgiveness is a deep sign that we may have never experienced or understood the the great grace of God. And if we live lives of unforgiveness, God allows us to live in the prison of unforgiveness. We're going to be trapped in that, and that's, you're going to live in that prison until you learn to forgive. As with all sin, God allows us to live in the prison of our own sin until we turn from it and receive his grace. And we see this um, balance of this beautiful forgiveness but also the ruthless punishment. And it's because God is a God of compassion and mercy, he can't have that which is without compassion and mercy with him. You can't be with God if if you're not going to turn to him, have him shape your heart. Again, this notion of God's holiness. God is so pure. So what do I do? What if I do if I'm not ready... God, I'm not ready to forgive right now. Um, I, need to for, I know I need to forgive someone. I, I don't know if I can do that. And you might be thinking that because I've been there. I've definitely been there. Perhaps this becomes our prayer. God, I'm not ready or willing to forgive this person, but I'm willing to be willing Because, God, unless you change my heart, I won't be able to move past this. You've got to look at the contrast between the king who just forgave so greatly and this other servant who just couldn't do it even with a small debt. 
to say, you know, God, I'm actually more like that wicked servant than I am like you. And unless you change my heart, I cannot do this. Lord, make my heart like yours. And then God gives us ways to, ways that we can practice to when, when you've been wrong, to still seek to speak charitably and to speak well of that person. I've been in situations where I felt wronged and that somebody had sinned against me. And if their name were to come up, I have an opportunity to remind people the wrong that I experienced. Or I could say something that was kind about that. I'm going to intentionally say something kind every time the name comes up. Just going to train my heart to forgive. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. I mean, that really does change you. If there's somebody who's wronged you, that you actually pray God's grace towards that person. And just remember their humanity. The key here is in verse 35, when Jesus said, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother, your brother or your sister. This is remembering the humanity of the one who's wronged you. It's easy to label people who wrong us. Oh, that person's a liar. That person is a cheater. He's a gossip. She's the devil. This person is an animal for what they did. You just you label them less than human. And Jesus said, remember, this is a brother or sister. This is a broken human being who needs God's grace. And if you can identify with the, the person who's wronged you, if you can identify with their humanity, that goes a long way. Because Jesus had to identify with our humanity to forgive us. This is Jesus with Jesus, God himself on his heavenly throne, God the Son, who willingly takes on the human condition to walk with us, that he can sympathize with us, that he can truly have compassion. And then having not sinned, could truly pay the price. He could pay this impossible debt on the cross. But he had to identify with our humanity and experience human pain and even, yes, human death to bring forgiveness. So we can identify with the humanity of others. So as we conclude, I'll say this. As I've been speaking, God may have brought to heart or to your mind some deep hurts in your life. Old, maybe it's old stuff. Maybe it's something you're going through now. These may be things you want to talk to someone else about. Maybe a, uh, a counselor or a pastor or a friend, a Christian friend. Pastor Dan is working on a peacemaking seminar that we're going to, after these three sermons, we want to get people together who want to just kind of learn more and um, dig a little deeper into this because it, it takes time and it's, it is hard. But there's, so there's these big, huge hurts. And you might need to walk with some people through that. But there's also the day-to-day hurts, the small things that people do against us that we can live out, not just the big ones. And as we learn to extend forgiveness on those small ones, they, they do build up to shape our heart to be forgiving in some of those bigger ways as well. So you're going to go from this place. Now, here's the good news. Because usually when we, I send you out, I mean, you're going to leave anyway, but I, we do a, you know, sending. And we say, okay, now we're going to go live this out. So you, you take effort to, to live it. To, to need to extend forgiveness, that's not something you initiate. Because 
somebody else has to initiate it by harming you or sinning against you. So it's actually quite easy. It's very passive at this point. You're going to go out and go and be harmed or go and be offended. And when you are offended, then you can put this into practice. Then the stuff we talked about last week, there's a way that you can approach that, looking at your own heart, um, deciding if this is something you want to confront, going one-on-one, that whole process. So it's an easy application. Just go forth and be offended. And when it happens, though, remember our king, our great king, whose grace is boundless, the God of grace, who is given that way of forgiveness and that we might forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Let us pray. Lord, this is um, not easy. So we need your grace. We need it to fuel us. We need your Holy Spirit to be doing the work on our hearts uh, that we might truly forgive as we've been forgiven. So may we, may we always know what it costs, the very blood of Jesus. Um, nothing that we accomplished, nothing that we were able to pay back, but your great grace, Lord. Help that to go deep into our hearts as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.